Just a quick note about this week's episode. We recorded this show with our guests via Zoom. So if you hear the audio cut out a little bit, that's why. Now, here's today's show. From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm here in the Thinking Out Loud studios with Kyle Wenzel, and we are so excited to have you guys back for another week of the Thinking Out Loud podcast. And uh, I know we normally start our time together off with kind of some fun things, um, but today's topic is of such a serious nature. Um, I really believe that we need to, you know, keep it that way and really delve into a topic that we feel is extremely important to bring awareness to, and uh, that's the topic of sex trafficking. And I want to make sure that if you have little kids around, uh, just kind of want to give you a warning that this is going to be pretty heavy and, you know, on the topic of sex and sex trafficking and all the things that happen there, abuse and all of that. And so if you have little children around, you may want to, you know, pause this until another time. Or you may want to go into another room or what have you. Uh, But I just want to make sure we give that warning before we get into our topic today. This is something that is extremely near and dear to my heart. And I want to bring, and Kyle wants to bring, awareness of this issue that has been, that is ravaging our nation. Like it is everywhere. And so many people have a clue. They don't have a clue that it's happening right under their nose. And uh, we have a a special guest today who is a sex trafficking survivor. And we are so happy that she decided to come on today because her desire as well is to bring, just to bring awareness to this. And so I want to kind of go over just real quickly some statistics that I think will blow your mind. USA Today said that there are more than 4 million victims of sex trafficking globally. A study from the United Nations International Labor Organization estimated that 3.8 million adults, 1 million children, were victims of forced sexual exploitation in 2016 around the world. Wow. 99% are women and girls. The vast majority of sex trafficking victims are women and girls Though men, boys, trans, intersex, and non-binary individuals can be victims as well. The International Labor Organization estimates that 99% of the adults and children forced into sexual exploitation in 2016 were female. One in seven reported runaways in the U.S. in 2018 is likely a victim of child sex trafficking. In the U.S., we have uh, sex trafficking victims include 
immigrants, as well as American citizens. Though there is no official number, advocates and researchers say the number of domestic victims is high. Another place where we see this is also in the foster care system. And this is not widely talked about, but in recent years, a pipeline from the foster care system to trafficking has gained attention. And then last statistic here um, before we talk to our guest is profits from forced sexual labor are estimated at $99 billion worldwide. That's a billion with a B. According to a 2014 report from the International Labor Organization on forced labor, commercial sexual exploitation accounted for two-thirds of the profits from forced labor, and forced sex work commanded the highest profits per victim compared to other types of labor like domestic work. And so, as you can see, the numbers are staggering. We must, everyone, Christian, non-Christian, but especially Christians, we must bring light to this darkness. It is, it is one of the most egregious things that you can do to another human being is put them in any type of slavery for any reason. The most egregious, in my opinion, is sexual slavery. And we have to be bold, we have to stand up, and we have to do everything we can to combat it. And so, yeah. uh, and, and that's what, that's that's our desire to do that today. And Kev, Kev, real quick, I like that you say that because coming from Michigan, you look at one real quick stat, Michigan ranks sixth in the nation with human trafficking, seventh if you talk about specifically sex trafficking. Mm. So- if we're going to bring awareness, which I am excited to do today, if we're going to educate ourselves. I think we have to take some onus and some ownership on the fact that our state, where we're releasing podcasts from, we're going to Kroger, we're going to Meyer, we're going to the marketplace, the, you know, the store. And if we're sixth or seventh in either one of those categories, odds are we are walking blindly by scenarios and situations that we otherwise are just going to have to be okay with because we don't know enough or we don't care enough. And that's a gut-punching statement. The fact that we're sixth or seventh in the nation in this. And we, me personally, I guess I just don't know enough to do nothing. But I think after hearing this podcast, we as Michigan citizens, residents, we need to take more ownership over the fact that our state is that that low in that, that, st- that stat. Yeah, yeah. That is, it's, that, it's incredible. And and I agree. We, we need to do something uh, about it. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, our guest today. Um, I met her at a, an event called SOAP. And this is an organization that it does everything it can to be out there and to bring awareness to this, help rescue these, these girls and guys from sex trafficking. And that particular organization uh, is called SOAP, and it stands for Save Our Adolescents from Prostitution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, Devon was a speaker. Uh, she's one of the keynote speakers at an event that I went to because I just wanted to learn more about it. And I took my, uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter there uh, with me and was just floored by the things that I was hearing. I just didn't have a clue. And uh, ever since then, my heart is beating towards getting this stopped. And so 
you know, Devon's story was absolutely riveting. And, you know, my heart just went out to her. And uh, we kind of followed that up by going to SOAP. And we were, uh, we did some volunteering there. Um, And what they do is they literally wrap bars of SOAP um, with a message and a number that a person that is being trafficked can call. So they put these in hotel rooms, they go to you know, the auto show, they go to, you know, all these big events around the world that brings in a lot of these sex traffickers and and all of that. And, uh, you know, their desire is if one of these young ladies go into the rooms, their hotel rooms, they will see this in the bathroom and they can, you know, call discreetly from the bathroom and somebody can, you know, come and rescue them. And so it's just an awesome, awesome thing that they do. And this is where I met Devon and uh, you're, you're getting ready to meet her. Uh, we're so appreciative for her to come on. And uh, Devon, welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. We're so happy to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Devon, help us to understand a little bit um, kind of your background. Um, you know, how did this just horrible thing start like how where did this start how did this happen and just kind of share with us um you know kind of the beginnings of all of this okay so i grew up um in a very poor household in kentucky um i was the youngest of six from my mom and my mom has always been the person who wants the handout trying to take like the easy way out wants money but doesn't want to work for it and that's how she's always been um so we grew up um on state assistance on any government assistance that make made sure like she couldn't work um when i was nine i was sexually assaulted by my sister the same sister that later trafficked me uh her first husband um sexually assaulted me and cps got called in and they removed me from the household. They put me in foster care. And so I was with foster care for two years. And that's when I realized that my household was not normal. It's mm. not normal to go without water or electricity or food or the basic necessities. So when I was 12, I got put back into the home and I was unhappy because I knew what I deserved and this was not it. So my mom actually came to me and said, listen, I'm going to send you to Michigan. Your sister is with a new guy. She left that guy that was messing with you. Your her, her ex-husband, she divorced him. Um, the new guy that she's with is amazing. Good guy. I'm going to send you to Michigan because I, you deserve a better life. Mm. And it was the first time in my 12 years that she had ever done anything, well, at that time, I thought, uh, she had ever done anything not selfishly to help mm. someone else. Mm. And I was impressed by my mom. Like, she noticed that I was unhappy and noticed I could, I deserved better. So she sent me to Michigan. I moved in with my sister and my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law, at first, was amazing. He was so nice. Um, I had all the best clothes and my hair was the nicest and I had everything uh, they promised me. They promised me I'd have nice clothes. They promised me I'd always have 
a pantry of food. I would never go without lights. I would never want. And even during the depth of my trafficking, they held up to that promise. Hmm. Hmm. And it slowly turned to where it was at first just verbal abuse. Um, Hey, you're getting fat. Don't wear those clothes. Don't show your arms. Don't show your legs. And so it started to where I came up wearing shorts and a tank top. And after like maybe even six months, I was only allowed to show one portion of my body at the time. So Mm. it was, if I'm wearing capris, then you cannot wear a short sleeve shirt because that's too much skin. And I said, okay, you know, they're taking care of me. Of course, I'm going to help you. Yeah, I'll Mm -hmm. do anything you ask me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, If you show your elbow, you can't show show your knees or your collarbone. That's fine. Okay, 100%. I oblige. Then it slowly turned to physical abuse. Um, If you put, if I put something in the wrong place while, while I was cleaning, he would get so mad, he'd hit me and drag me across the floor or just attack me. And I told myself, well, okay, next time, maybe I said too much. Maybe I made him mad. Oh, I shouldn't have put that there. Like I started making excuses for his behavior because I felt ungrateful because he, he took me in. He didn't have to take care of me. And he was giving me everything they promised me. So it was my fault he was hitting me. So when it took a turn to sexual abuse, uh, my sister uh, left the house and she went to Kentucky for the weekend to take care of some family business. And he came into my bedroom. Um, she came back the following day and well, so that night after he uh, took my virginity he left the room and he looked at me disgusted and was like, I cannot believe you would do that to your sister. Oh my goodness. And it broke my heart. Mm. I was at that time I was 13. Oh my God. Um, And I felt bad. Like I just, Oh my gosh, what happened? Because he had tried many advances before, but I fought him off Mm. and he would congratulate me. Oh, I was just checking you. Look how strong you are. I was just seeing how strong you were. Mm. And I thought I failed that test because I finally just stopped fighting. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, my sister comes home and uh, I tell her not what he did. I told her in my version what I did was wrong. Mm. I apologize. I'm crying and I'm telling her I'm a, I'm telling her I'm sorry. And she, at that point she stops me and she says, that's not your fault. But she also says, maybe he was drinking. Maybe he had too much to drink. I'm going to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then she comes to me and it won't happen again. Okay. Thank you. And when it happened again, I went to her and again, she promised me, it won't happen again. The third time it happened, the last time I went to her, she got mad at me. And she was like, what do you expect me to do? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, do you expect me to uproot my whole life? Leave him. You're going to be an adult. 
in four to five years. Do you want me to leave him just to make you comfortable and be alone once you move out? I, I'm not doing that. Hmm. Stop hmm. letting him in the bedroom, basically. Hmm. So I stopped saying anything. Once I turned, I think it was four, late 14, 15, um, he came to me and said, hey, there's a party for you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And, and in the meantime, like the rape and abuse was still going on, mm-hmm. but I didn't say anything. I, I felt ungrateful. If I spoke out, like I wasn't happy in Kentucky. I wasn't happy in foster home. Now I'm not happy here. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was being ungrateful. Mm-hmm. And I felt that it happened to me when I was nine. Now it's happening to me now. It has to be something I'm doing to make them think it's okay. Mm. Mm. And so I really internalized that guilt. And I went to school. I was in Spanish club. I had friends. I had sleepovers. And not once did I think that I was safe enough to speak out, even about just the abuse and rape. So when it escalated into trafficking, I didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. I thought, I, for years, called myself a prostitute because that's what I thought I was. Mm. So when he come, he came to me and he was like, hey, we're going to have a party in your honor this weekend. And I was like, well, why? Like, it's not my birthday. There's nothing special this week, this weekend. And he was like, well, I've watched you grow into this beautiful woman and everyone around me notices your beauty and your potential. And I just, I'm so proud of you. I Mm. want to showcase you. And all I wanted to do was make him happy and make him proud. Mm -hmm. Cause I like, I just sought his approval for some reason. And still to this day, I cannot explain it. Mm. And I can tell you still to this day, if he came into the room with me, I said, hey, come here, let me talk to you. I would go. I cannot explain the hold he had over me, still has over me. My goodness. So that weekend, um, that Friday, he picked me up from school. He was happy. He was in a good mood. So I'm happy. I'm in a good mood because he's happy. The first signs, like the first person who let me down without knowing it, Uh, We're in lover's lane. I am, I think, 14 at the time. I'm a child with this almost 30-year-old, and we're looking at lingerie. And the worker there looked very concerned, and she kept staring at me. And then when he walked away to look at something, she came up to me, and she was like, are you okay? And I panicked. You have to get away from me. You're going to get me in trouble. Like, basically. Mm. So I just looked at her and I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Go away. I'm fine. Mm. And he walked up and he put his arms around me and he was like, why are you talking to my wife? And she was like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I was just checking on her to see if she's okay. And he was like, no, she's fine. So we bought all this lingerie. As we're checking out. She's looking at me, and you could tell that she knows something is wrong. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then he, because that's what I was taught, he walks in front of me and I walk behind him and I don't, um, and I turn, I look at her and she makes the phone gesture to her ear. And I just shook my head at her like, no, don't, don't call anyone. You're going to get me in trouble. And that's all I could think. Mm. And so, um, he takes me up to this bedroom that used to be a storage room. And now there's a bed and there's toilet paper, there's water, there's a rack of lingerie and there's a webcam, the old fashioned, cause this was in 2000, whatever webcam focused at the bed. And he explains to me that he's having a party. Um, there's tons of men who want to meet me. And, but be, because he loves me so much, he also got a doctor to come and check on me. And I knew when he said there's a doctor for this party that it was not going to be a normal party. Like this, this is not a good party. Right. Why do you need a doctor for a party? Mm-hmm. So the doctor came in and he kept telling me like, because I love you, I got him for you. He's not cheap, but I love you and I want to make sure you're safe. So I believed him. Mm. The doctor came in, he introduced himself to me, let me know that he would be taking my vitals, giving me medicine, and checking me between each man. And even then, I didn't understand what he meant. What do you mean between each man? So that night, um, my sister handed out um, snacks and drinks to the men waiting their turn with me as only six men came in that room that night. And... The sixth man got too aggressive with me because I wouldn't stop crying and he made my nose bleed because he mm. headbutted me. And my oh. brother-in-law and the doctor ran in quick. Mm. And my brother-in-law scooped me up. The doctor took care of me. My brother-in-law put me in the tub. He cried because I was hurt. So with the first five men, I was like, why does my brother-in-law hate me? I hate him. He, he, he is not good. But with the sixth and when something bad happened to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, look how much he loves me. Look mm-hmm. how well he's taking care of me. He's patching my nose. He's bathing me. He is crying because I'm hurt. Wow. And so it was a very twisted logic in my head. Mm-hmm. And this went on for years. I, I actually, um, had a friend in the midst of all this, um, whose mom went through similar, not some like sexual trauma in her life. And she saw signs of abuse, mm-hmm. but she started asking too many questions and started to just question me. Like, what's that bruise from? Why are you skidded? And it made me to where I pushed that friend away. I would not talk to her anymore because I was not ready to come forward. Cause I was scared. Mm. It wasn't until I was 16 and a half and my brother-in-law saw me hugging a guy outside the house. It wasn't until my brother-in-law saw me hugging a guy, my, my friend, because he had a bad day outside the house. Um, he dragged me in the house and he beat the ever loving crack out of me. Mm. And because I was a whore for hugging a mm. boy. Mm. Even though I did 
the worst of the worst on the weekends and sometimes during the week. But because he saw me hugging a boy, I was, I, I was bad. Mm. So he grounded me. And this is where I know that he, I don't think, I think he really thought what he was doing was okay because I was grounded for the weekend. He took the phone. He beat me up and down. He locked me in my room with a bucket and would not let me leave. If I had to use the bathroom, I had a bucket. I had a uh, thing of water. And he grounded me from the weekend, which included being trafficked. He wow. grounded me from being raped all weekend. Oh like that goodness. was a punishment. Oh, my goodness. And it, I set my room and they brought a new girl in to replace me. And I could hear her. And I sat there and uh, I, I was like, I can't do this. Mm. Oh my gosh. Like her sounds broke my heart. Mm. And it made me realize if her sounds break my heart, why doesn't my own? Mm. Mm. And so the next day was school. Uh, this was Saturday, Sunday. The next day I went to school and I said, I'm done. I'm running away. I'm not coming back. So I got a hold of my other sister who actually only lived like five minutes away, mm-hmm. but was not allowed at the house because she started asking too many questions. And I, uh, I told her like, I'm leaving. But before all that was gym class. My friend Juliet uh, was holding up a towel because we didn't have um, doors on the stalls so I could change for gym. And she accidentally dropped the towel. And I had bruises from my shoulder to my ankle. Mm. He had, and I had bite marks. I had burn marks. He had beat me for hugging someone. Mm. And she saw the bruises. And I'm like, no, no, don't cry. Don't panic. I'm fine. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Because other friends before this had saw bruises. And I said, hey, I'm fine. I'm okay. Please don't tell anyone. And they thought that they were being a good friend to me by not speaking up. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I thought she would too. <laughs> so the next hour comes and I get called out of class because my friend was so upset. She broke down crying in class. Mm. So they bring me to the office and um, the counselor is asking me what's going on. And I, at first I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about and she refers to a call I made after gym class because I called my sister five minutes away from me planning to run away and I said hey I'm gonna run away come pick me up at 2 a.m take me back to Kentucky I cannot be here anymore because if I do I will not live mm-hmm. so and I'm, I swear up and down, that call never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what Juliet says she heard. And then finally, this counselor, unlike most counselors that I had seen before, wouldn't give up. And finally, she was like, what is going on? Raise up. Let me see your uh, arms. And I was like, why do you want to see my arms? She's like, because it's September and you're in long sleeves and long pants. Mm. I want to see what's under your arms. And so I just raised my sleeves up and there were bruises and there were bite marks and there were burn marks. And she said, are you being hurt? 
as she reached over, the first person ever, she grabbed my hand and she said, I want to help you. Let Mm. me help you. And I lost it because she made me human. Yeah. And so I started crying and I still couldn't put a label on what happened to me. So I just said, he's hurting me. Mm. And that's all it took. And so she called the police and she got me removed from the home. Mm. And I swore up and down. I would never tell anyone that I was a prostitute ever. And it wasn't until 2013, my friend Rhonda, who's always had a heart for fighting trafficking, but she always thought it was international. She never thought about domestic. She was like, hey, this girl, Teresa, runs so, um, will you go with me? And I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to learn about trafficking. That's, that, that doesn't even happen here. Uh, that's overseas. Like, I was so blinded. Mm. And she was like, just go with me. I don't want to go by myself. So we're sitting there and we're listening to Teresa's story. And I just start sobbing. I get up and I run to the bathroom. And Rhonda knew that I had abuse in my past. So she just thought like I was sexually assaulted and I was triggered. Mm. And so later I called her because I, I didn't talk like the whole time home. I was like, I think I was trafficked. Mm. And so I called her and I was like, Rhonda, I was given out as a party favor, which is what I thought at the time. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And so I told her my story and she was like, wait, one person worked at Planet Fitness and one person was on disability. They owned their home. They had four cars. Do you think, do you not think they were getting money off of you? And that's when I realized, like, everyone in my life was gaining money off of the stuff they were forcing me into. Wow. Wow. It seems like, and and I like that you say that, you know, we think it's international, like it can't happen here. Uh, Anything, usually when you do research or you watch documentaries, it usually starts overseas. The documentaries, they start overseas. Uh, The underground operations of sex trafficking, I get it. It seems like the ring leadership is overseas. However, I think it's important that you talk about it being domestic because your story proves, and if I can say it, the brainwashing that happens. Yeah, I've been in conversations with people where, you know, they say, well, why don't they speak up or why don't they say something or why, why are, and we say women, even though boys are involved, but we say, well, why don't these women why does it take them 10, 15, 20 years to come out? And is it is it possible that the case is they had a coming well, coming to Jesus moment where they, they awoke to the fact that, oh my goodness, that's wrong. Is, there, is it possible there was a time frame where they had to recognize that they were, they, were, they were just brainwashed in the entire situation to be blinded by their own hurt? Well, I can tell you... Um... We were in Detroit at the height of my trafficking, and I saw a girl on the street. I'm going through it. I'm living it. And I thought even to myself, well, there's a prostitute. If she didn't want to be there, then she wouldn't be there. Hmm. And I was living it. Hmm. And I think the biggest question that people ask me is, why didn't you just leave? And Hmm. I know that it's a genuine question, but it can be a very triggering question because 
I, I ask myself that all the time. Why didn't you just go? Mm-hmm. But because they break you down so much and they verbally, physically, and then sexually assault you to where you feel like you don't matter. And I've watched um, videos of dogs in cages and mm-hmm. it's learned behavior. It he is. tries to jump over the fence so many times it gets electrocuted. They turn the fence off, move it, put food there. He won't jump over it because he's learned that it's going to hurt him if he goes over that line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're told so many times and broke down so many times when you try to say, I don't think this is right, and you're told you're not even worthy enough for someone to save you, you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit, uh, Devon, if you will, about grooming, because I feel like a lot of the stuff in the beginning was just them trying to groom you. Oh, we're going to give you the best life. We're going to, you know, you're going to have the best clothes and you're going to have some cool gym shoes. And, you know, you're not going to have to worry about anything. Talk to me a little bit about because obviously we have many women and, and guys listening who they could be right in the middle of being groomed right now and don't even don't even know it. Don't even understand exactly. it. So talk to us a little bit about grooming and how that affects the psyche. So grooming is a big part of, I'd say trafficking, but I, I would also say sexual assault and violence, domestic violence because they spend, traffickers in a whole spend a lot of time. This is a long game. They don't just grab you off the street and throw you into a bed with a lot, you know, that's how a lot of movies show where, you know, a lot of Facebook statuses that someone Mm. followed me through Kroger, they're going to sell me. Um, A lot of traffic, they're smart and they're very, very calculated. They bring you in. They make you trust them. They make you feel like they will provide for you and they love you and, they gaslight you, and I'm not sure if you know what gaslighting is, but they will act a certain way, and then when you have a reaction to their action, they tell you what you saw with your own eyes are, is wrong. They make you feel crazy. Right. They make you feel wrong for feeling or reacting to their actions. Mm. And after a while, you stop calling them out because, wait, what if I'm over like overreacting what if i am crazy so the gaslighting is a big part of the grooming Mm. so once they break you down mentally and make it to where you rely on them a hundred percent for gratification for positivity for uplifting they could break you down and build you up as many times as you want as they want Mm. and you find it in yourself that your identity is what they tell you it is. Mm -hmm. And then you do anything to please them because you want them to be happy and you want them like my brother-in-law every time would carry me to the bathroom. He would nurture me. He would take care of me. He would wash me. He would love on me. And so I thought that meant he loved me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then being as young as you were, I mean, you, you didn't even know or or have a chance to develop really what love was. I mean, especially with, you know, kind of how you grew up and, and things like that. 
Um, and the life was so drastically different because you went from not having anything to having everything, you know? Right. You know, so just, uh, wow, wow. And I think it's important that we, we take to note that the domestic situation that was going on, at least for me, when I hear human trafficking or sex trafficking, I'm thinking of finding a creepy situation down an aisle in a shopping store, you know, in a store or going to the laundromat and seeing a creepy situation. That's, that doesn't even sound like that's the case 90% of the time. It sounds like what you were saying here is even the person being trafficked or the individual who is involved in domestic sexual abuse, they don't, they don't even know it. And so for us on the outside to look in, we're going to have to almost be super intentional about noticing just the unhealth period before we can even isolate that to a certain event. Is, does that make sense? I think that, like I said, like we went to a lot of stores together. We bought a lot of sex toys. We bought a lot of lingerie. Um, we went a lot of places as a minor and a grown man. Mm. And that's, that's the place where as the retail cashier, call the cops. I don't care if you're wrong. It's better to be nosy and wrong. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to ask you. I didn't want to cut you off, you know, when you're telling your story, but the simple question, are you okay? It doesn't seem sufficient enough. You know, it's almost like we're saving face is like, oh, I did everything I could. I asked her if she was okay. So let me ask you. So, so I was going to ask you, like, instead of asking, are you okay? If we notice a situation, what should the response be? What should be the most effective response for the time frame and for the solution? I'd say like the lover's lane incident. If the police showed up, first of all, you can't go into lover's lane unless you're over 18. I know that there was enough suspicion or enough doubt to make them start looking into something more. Why mm -hmm. is this grown man calling this child, his wife and buying lingerie, mm -hmm. multiple sex toys, multiple lubricants why is that the case like that was enough like that was the first day right before my trafficking happened if the cops would have been called in and they would have started investigating i genuinely believe it would have made my brother-in-law a little bit more hesitant to do it mm. i don't think i would have been trafficked that night if the police showed up at my house Hmm. And if they would have showed up at my house, they would have saw a webcam, a bed, a toilet paper, water, hmm. the lingerie that was just bought, all the sex toys that were just bought. They would have saw it set up in a room. That, hmm. What do you think that's for? Right, right. They would have stopped it before it started. Mm -hmm. Devon, what do you... What do you say, um, because I, and I know, and because even through soap and, and, and I was listening to um, some things that you guys were saying when you were doing your presentation about how some girls don't even understand, like they will work somewhere. So say they work at Old Navy or they work at, you know, whatever, the local Dairy Queen. And a person that works there is actually a trafficker. And he's like, it, you know, maybe he's a really nice looking guy and they get hooked up with them. And it starts off as a working relationship. But tr but he's there because he's a plant. He's there because, you know, for whatever reason, he they saw a bunch of young girls there or whatever the case may be. And then they start, you know, kind of, you know, going from there. So 
like you said, to your point is, it's not the, oh, I was down a dark alley and I got kidnapped, thrown in a white van and sped off. You never saw me again. Like that's movie kind of stuff. I mean, there is very intentional, very calculated things that are happening to girls. And I think when I was sitting there and I heard that, that for me was like, it floored me because I'm like, that could happen to anyone. Like, like, you know, like my daughter could meet a guy who is amazing. She thinks like, oh, daddy, he's the one, whatever the case may be. And, you know, if she's not alert, she wouldn't realize that he's a trafficker. So talk, I mean, talk to us a little bit about like how like that happened. So actually the term for that is Romeo pimp. It's a Mm. Romeo pimp. Mm. And I have a lot of survivor sisters. I actually, um, actually one in my town, um, she fell in love with this guy. He said he was amazing. She thought he was great. They had kids together and he, his first step into it was, listen, honey, um, we don't have rent, but I do have someone if you sleep with him once, he'll pay our rent. I've been working. Will you please do this? And she thought, okay, you know, I'm at home with the kids. I'll do this. So she thought as a sacrifice, she'll do this. Mm-hmm. Then it started to wear, okay, well, do it again. Well, you don't love your family if you don't do it again. You don't love mm-hmm. me if you don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And then he made it to where, wait, I don't think it was actually in my town, but it was in the area. But, mm-hmm. um, he made it to where, oh, look, the girl's outside. She needs rent money. We should help. We know people that'll pay her. And then they, he actually formed a full brothel to the point to where she was so sucked in that she actually became like the head honcho breaking in these girls because she thought she was helping them. Oh, my goodness. And when she tried to leave, he fought her for custody. Mm. And she had to face her trafficker in court. And there was another girl that was actually, I I know this one for sure, was in my town. Uh, He did the same thing. He didn't expand. But um, he was trafficking her. He had kids with her. They were in a relationship. And when she finally left him, she had to face him in court, her trafficker, someone, he almost killed her in front of her children. Mm. And he showed up in court and looked like an upstanding citizen. She had to prove that he was bad to mm. keep her kid, her girls away from him. Hmm. Wow. Wow. What are some signs? You know, just the average person, like we, you know, we're not detectives. We, we're not the FBI. We don't have some of the training and, and all of that. But what are some of the signs that somebody, if we're in a grocery store or something like that, uh, is trafficked? I know that, um, you know, you guys had talked a little bit about in your presentation, you talked a little bit about, you know, certain tattoos, you know, like anchor tattoos and, and you know, certain things like that. I, I, you know, maybe jewelry or just different things like that. What for a normal person, what does that look like? What are some of the signs? Well, so I can tell you from different, like different 
aspects. Like yeah. for me, um, it's August and I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. I, I'm not making eye contact. I'm skittish. You could tell from the outside looking in. Obviously, you can't look at me and be like, traffic. But the signs of abuse are all the same. Mm-hmm. I always say trauma is trauma. And at one point, it just branches off and you become numb and you start saying, I want this. But the initial signs of trauma, I don't care if it's domestic violence, sexual abuse, rape, trafficking. The trauma in you is almost equal mm. because the initial signs of trauma are the same. Mm-hmm. So we, like me, like we're in the store, I'm walking behind him. I am asking permission. I am very soft-spoken. I'm wearing long shirts in the midst of summer. I have random bruising. Um, if you're, if they're in school, I had a lot of absences. My A's went to D's. Mm-hmm. Um, I changed and I like teachers, the teachers that saw me every day. I think they should have saw that change in me. I started out the first, like the beginning of the year, vibrant and happy wearing t-shirts and capris. By the end of the semester, I'm wearing long shirts I'm tired. I'm falling asleep in class. I'm very soft-spoken. I'm skittish. Mm. But and if you walk by someone in the store, oh, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I, and I believe this, at least here in the state of Michigan, I think the school systems have upped the ante with that because that was a huge deal. I mean, you're in school. Again, it's domestic, right? And so you're going home every night you're going home on the weekends into this situation and if if teachers aren't able to say something there's a possibility nobody's going to find this out and uh, my wife's a teacher and she struggles with this because she knows but it's it's now she legally has to say something if if it if it comes across the table uh legally and and they find out there were signs in the classroom and the teacher neglected uh she's in trouble like if these, if there are tangible, clear signs that she should have noticed, and so I do know, which I think is awesome, that there is a responsibility to these teachers that have these kids for six, seven hours a day. They have to say something, and I think I think that's awesome. I I'm, I feel completely horrible that that wasn't always the case, but I, I am I am I am glad that it's trending in the right direction as far as the educational system. You know, you know, what I'm saying as it goes for that. I could tell you, I had one teacher who took like a special interest in me and Uh she noticed a change in me. She would send me to a counselor and like this counselor, I'd sit down and they would look down at the paper and be like, are you being abused? Like very monotone. And I'd be like, no, no, no. And they'd send me back to class. Mm -hmm. And then I got, um, I could say her name, but her name was Miss Carmen. She was my counselor, my new counselor. First time I got sent to her, that's when I broke and told her I was being abused because she was not letting me leave. She knew something was wrong. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. What would you say are some of the common traps that young girls and guys are falling in through social media? Obviously, 
you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. I mean, you name it. They are on it. They are posting tons of pictures of themselves. You know, some of these pictures are not, you know, they're a little provocative. You know, they're trying to get attention. Um, you know, all of this, they're trying to get the most likes, you know, people are DMing, DMing them. Um, what, you know, and, and, and then I think the second part of this is what should parents do? Because, you know, a lot of parents have not a clue what their kids are doing in their bedrooms at night, two or three o'clock in the morning, they're DMing people, people are, you know, contacting them. They're, you know, they're, they're being groomed right over social media. Um, and parents are just completely oblivious to it. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, how can girl, like, just talk about that. Okay. So I would like start off by saying, if it's too good, to be true. Question it. If someone's writing you and saying, Hey, I got this modeling opportunity, question it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like discretion is key. And I think that parents should be monitoring pictures posted, videos posted. I go through, like my kids have TikTok. I go through their videos. And if I think that the audio is questionable, the dancing is questionable, the clothing choice is questionable. I just put a little period and they know, hey, I have to delete this because she don't approve. Mm -hmm. I think that invading the privacy to an extent is totally okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read your conversations with your boyfriend, with your friends. That's not my business. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking to someone that I don't know and you don't know, I'm in that conversation. First of all, you shouldn't be talking to anyone that you have not met face to face. You're going to block them after we go over this conversation. So I think that just, I think a lot of parents give a lot of leeway because they don't want to invade too much privacy. Mm. But I feel that it, a little invasion of privacy is protection. Absolutely. So if I'm looking at your followers list and I'm like, Hey, I don't know this person. I don't know this person. Why is this person commenting? Block them. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing it because I'm overbearing. I'm doing it because it's an old dude and he shouldn't be looking at your TikToks. He shouldn't be on your social media. Have you met them face to face? No, delete them. Mm -hmm. So, and even family members, like I have taught my kids um, boundaries, Mm -hmm. even in non-threatening environments. If a family member wants a hug and you don't want to hug them, don't hug them. I'm not going to force you to hug them. So I think teaching your children that your body is your body and I don't care who it is. If that, if you don't want them to touch you, don't let them touch you. Yeah. And I've taught even my middle daughter. (laughs) Um, I normally like walk through the house and if I say, Hey, excuse me. And I pat their butt to say, excuse me. That's who I am. Pat, pat, excuse me. Mm -hmm. My daughter has even came to me, my middle daughter and said, Hey, I don't like it when you do that. Please don't touch me like that. No problem. Done. I won't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Mm-hmm. We okay. have to give them the freedom to speak up when they're yeah. uncomfortable. Yes. And not make them feel like they have to comply to make the adults comfortable because that doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, that's that's good. You, you know, one of the things I think that upsets me is the fact that it's always the woman's fault. Um, our society is just so 
backwards. And it, you know, if a woman wears something that, you know, and maybe she shouldn't wear it, maybe it's a little bit too revealing. You know, the first thing out of people's mouth is, well, you shouldn't have wore that. If you wouldn't have wore that, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have tried anything with you. And my right, thing like is. She's asking for it. Yeah. That's, and, that's and, you hear that all the time. Yeah. And, and my thing is no woman, no woman is ever asking to be sexually abused. No woman is asking to be trafficked. I don't care what they're wearing. And, and I'm not saying that some of the things that I see is appropriate or should be worn or anything like that. I'm definitely not condoning that. But it is nowhere near something that we should be saying that, well, this person got raped because of what they were wearing. No, this person got raped because this, this other person who raped them is a sick person and right. needs to be in jail. Like, I, yeah. there, is, there is zero excuse. And I will also say, believe all women. That's another thing that, it, that happens is a woman will come forward and she will say, or a young girl or a young boy will say, hey, I'm being sexually abused by uncle so-and-so, or I'm being, you know, I'm being touched or something like that. And the first reaction is, oh, but that's uncle, that's uncle Johnny. He like, come on, what are you talking about? You know, or they're suppressed. Or they excuse, or they excuse the behavior. Oh, he was just drinking. He didn't mean to. He loves you. Yeah. These are the type of things. If your children come to you and say anything, like Devon said, they're uncomfortable. They don't like something. So-and-so, you know, uncle so-and-so always wants to, you know, you, you to get in his lap, whatever the case may be. All of these things sometimes can be signs that something's brewing, something's going on, something's happening. And, uh, I just, I think we need to be more aware and, you know, the social media thing, parents, I will tell you, and I've done this with my kids. I will always do this with my kids. I don't care what they say or what other people try to tell me, control the social media. There is so many things. If you, especially if you have an iPhone, there's so many blocks and things you can put on there that just come standard. Like you don't have to buy an extra, uh, software, but there are extra softwares out there like net nanny and and be safe online and all of these other things, covenant eyes. I mean, there's just some things on that's out there that can protect your children from predators. Um, and they're not a hundred percent, but you know what? It's going to stop a lot of things that your kids are, are involved in. I got a question. You, you mentioned there was a webcam, um, a lot, just to get straight to the point, a lot of pornographic videos are webcam videos. Um, and and to be honest, a lot of pornographic sites will lie. They'll put verified under the video. I was just reading about this. Um, and the video is not verified. Verified meaning all the participants in this video are 18 and above. And strictly Pornhub itself has lied about it, put a verified video up, allowed it to be up, and it was a, a girl or a boy under the age of 18. Um, por pornography itself is egregious uh first of all it's conditioning a culture to uh love is conditional w women men they wear they do certain things because they need love and they think that's a form of love secondly but my question is how do do, do you with your research with working with soap with working now uh with your foundation do you uh, have a better understanding as to how porn sites like that can just get away with it 
Are there lawsuits that are going on? Are there cases that are open that we just don't know about in the public? Is there a way that you can shed some light on that whole realm? Uh, because that's how they're making their money. Kevin put a stat up earlier. Um, billions of dollars. Commercialized. That's porn, that's porn sites. That's, uh, a guy like me can get on it for free because I clicked on it. They're making the viewership. They're making the money. And so how, and I'm, I, I was just an example, maybe a bad example. I don't go on porn sites, but I'm saying a guy like myself could simply just open up his phone and do that. They're easily accessible. How are they allowed to just continue to operate? You would think that our government had enough power to just shut it down, find the source because believe it or not, they can find whatever the, wherever the source is when it comes from a computer or a phone. So we can track a terrorist down from a phone and a computer. How in the world can we not track a webcam down from a bedroom? Then that's my question. I could say, and this is disgusting to say, like, luckily for me, um, this was before, like, technology, like, really hit off. My site that they put up was only available to guys who paid my brother-in-law in advance, and they got included on the AOL uh, webcam. Because I'm showing my age, but <laughs> that's what happened. Um, nowadays, I think they have it worse nowadays because of revenge porn, Pornhub, and Pornhub is so protected; it's disgusting. I have talked to, be. to at least three girls who have sent and begged, sent emails and begged and pleaded and cried because they were 14, or one of them was 14. And they, them dancing on a stripper pole and being trafficked is still on Pornhub, and they won't take it down. Mm. Wow. But because it is, I don't know if the IP address is not in America. Maybe it's, I don't, I think it's like an international IP address. Like, there's nothing we can do. Mm. All we can do is report the videos, and Pornhub will take them down if... They're not making a lot of money. They'll pretend like, oh, no, I didn't know. But if it's a high-paying video, they'll just ignore the reports. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, I was, I was thinking the same thing about strippers, right? Because a lot of people, when they go to strip club, they think like, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, here to have some fun. These girls, they actually want to do this because, you know, they're using this money to pay off college or... You know, they're just using this money to kind of get ahead and all of this, not knowing that. Um, and it wasn't until I came to a soap event that I realized that some of these girls are trafficked, and, and it's not like you know, so and so that's trying to. And I'm not saying that's right either. I mean, no woman should should go and be a stripper for in. You know, you should never sell your body for money. That period. That's just all. That's just all it is to it. But when I heard that some of these girls, they're trafficked. Like, yeah. it's, that's crazy. Well, a lot of strip clubs, like, they require you to have an ID on you that's over 21, mm -hmm. but they don't even look at it. Like, my daughter right now is 16. Mm -hmm. She could walk in there. We look a lot alike. Mm -hmm. She could walk in there right now with my ID, mm -hmm. and if the police came in, they could swear, uh, what is it called, plausible, was it deniability because mm -hmm. oh she had an id that was over 21 mm. even though she looks she's 16 she looks 12 she's little mm. 
Mm. So they don't care. And a lot of them, I know that like in Romulus, we changed the laws in Romulus because it used to be you had to be 18 to strip. Mm -hmm. And the one big strip club in our town don't like us now because we changed the laws. You have to be 21. You have to go down to the courthouse, the circuit court, and file paperwork and get a permit strip, not just have an ID. And you have to sign a human trafficking waiver saying that you will report anything that is not okay to be a stripper. They hate us. Perhaps part of the problem is is that instead of just eradicating, and this is just my biased opinion, but instead of just eradicating stripping as a profession, all they did was just formulate it and just make it some hoops and loops to jump through to make sure that, I mean, let's be real. If, if we, if we legislatively, if we cared about it enough as a governing state, it would just be illegal to do it. Yeah. You know, and which, which, which makes me mad because I feel like, again, I feel like, and along with the, the, the pornography question, I really feel like it could be abolished. Porn could be abolished uh, on sites. And stripping could be abolished, but I just feel like there's no facts to this, but I feel like there's got to be some sort of financial benefit for them to even be running still. There's too much money. And I could tell you before we, like when we were on a lockdown for COVID, we couldn't go to the gym. We couldn't get our hair cut. But when bars open, strip clubs open because they were considered bars because they only uh, report that they're making 75% of their income through alcohol. So we couldn't go work out. We couldn't get our hair cut, but men can still go to the strip club because they're Hmm. considered bars because they're protected. Hmm. Wow. So along with that question, well, along with that statement, obviously there are just, we can talk about human trafficking, sex trafficking, but we're fighting a battle because there are just certain things that are allowed socially in our state, in our nation. What can we do outside of post? You, you see the hashtag save the children now hashtag save our children. Uh, what can we do outside of social media that would, that would be effective? Like I'm a dad of two girls. I know Kevin, Kevin's got a family of, of girls as well. Like, and, and I know we say girls because they are 99% of them are the most vulnerable. What as a dad, I want to do my best, not just for my girls. I want to do my best for the kids growing up in my neighborhood the kids growing up around me how what can i do outside of social media that would be effective well i think that posting on social media is great i really do but i also think that it is a double-edged sword because a lot of people now are jumping on board and they're sharing stuff that actually hurts the cause Mm. So I think doing a lot of research, reporting, I don't care. Be a Karen. Tell on everything. <laughs> um, teach her, you know, teach her children their boundaries. Make your children feel valued. Um, my kid, actually, um, my oldest, has been in this fight with me since... I realized I was trafficked and she was 10. She's 16 now. She actually came to me um, not too long after I started speaking out and I started bringing her to events with me 
and she saw signs in another kid and this poor kid was being assaulted and being abused so i think that education just educating it starts in the home Mm-hmm. If you can't speak about it openly in your home, and obviously it's age appropriate, like all mm-hmm. of my kids now, like my youngest now is 10, my middle child will be 14, my oldest is 16, they all know my past. They know what I fight for. They know what sex trafficking is. They know the signs. They know what to look out for. I think that just starting in your home and then working outward is key. Because if you don't protect your own kids, you can't protect other people's kids. Right, right. Yeah, true. So I made it a point to not only focus on survivors and victims that I counsel all the time. Like if they call me, I don't care what time it is. I, I'm a full, I work full time. You call me at 2 a.m., I answer. But I also make it open to where my child comes to me and she's like, is this wrong? He said this to me. He, you know, he said I should wear um, a smaller shirt, like just stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I think starting in home and just being aware, especially as fathers, knowing that uh, most of the time your child is going to choose someone who emulates their father. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have a father in the home, the first person who shows up and pretends to love them paternally is going to be what they choose from there on out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. And in just in our last few minutes here, what, what can churches do? I mean, I, I, I just, I, I feel like this is a fight that the churches need to be a part of too. And I just think sometimes churches, we may not know what to do. It's like what, you know, how do you think churches can get involved? I mean, should they just get involved with local organizations like yours? Um, how does that work? So I can tell you, um, Northridge Church is very yeah. actively involved with SOAP. They mm-hmm. actually, like, they formed a whole um, organization called Love Runs. Mm. And they run the Detroit Marathon every year. They run, they each runner is asked to raise $1,440 because that is the amount of minutes that we're free and someone else isn't. Mm. So they're very active. Um, A lot of churches, like, you know, when we could actually, you know, face to face (laughs) with people, um, we had people on the streets handing out hygiene bags, food, uh, lunches, tampons. We had Narcan just in case. Um, just donating to causes like that, or like I said, Northridge was a hundred percent feet on the ground. Actually, side by side with organizations like us, and just making sure that these people know that we love you, and so does God. I think that's a big thing because God is what kept me alive. Mm, mm, mm. I would have been lost without my Bible. And Mm. I had my Bible ripped away from me, uh, thrown away, ripped up, told I was stupid. Mm. And that was the only time I stood up to my trafficker was Mm. you've taken everything from me. 
if you take God from me, I'll die. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so he told me to keep my stupid Bible because it don't help me anyway. Mm. Wow. Talk a little bit to the the person that's out there that may be listening that is sex that's being trafficked right now. And that whole that whole relationship with God, that journey, um, and, and understanding that you know, you know, this is not obviously God's plan for their life. God has an amazing plan for their life, but you know, the, we live in a fallen world, right? And so people make very horrible choices, and this affects other people. You know, every decision we make has a human on the other end of it. Um, that's just, you know, that's. One of the things that one of my mentors says, and I believe it a hundred percent. And so, uh, talk about that. Like, how did how did that? How has this, and how did God affect this whole situation um, with you? Because I, I can't imagine a person getting through this, and even what you have to go through today. You know, looking back on all of this without God. Like, I just I I can't imagine somebody doing this without God. So, how is your faith? you know, just influenced a lot of, you know, where you are now and, and where you're going. Okay. So at first I'll, you know, I'll address the first part. Um, if someone else, if someone's going through this, the same thing I was going through or something similar, I would tell them that no matter what anyone else says to you, you have value, you have worthy, God put you on this earth for more than this. Yeah. So no matter what anyone else tells you, you are valuable. You mm-hmm. have a future. And if you hold on to that and you wait for that, I'm not saying today run out and say, Hey, I'm being hurt. Wait for that aha moment. And when you reach that moment, call me, call Teresa, call the soap hotline, you know, reach out. Because there are so many people here who are ready to catch you when you're ready to fall. Yeah. And we will love you through it. Yeah. Yeah. There is no reason not to call. Yeah. Even though someone else is in your ear telling you there's every reason not to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you deserve better just like I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I could also say... Um, in my darkest moments was when I clung to God the most. And I know a lot of people would, that would make them stray from God or question God. But that was me. I would, I would walk to school every day and I would uh, walk past the Salvation Army and they knew me because I was in there so much because my trafficker was throwing away my Bibles when they found them under my pillow. Mm -hmm. And I'd walk in and I'd say, hi, and by the end of everything, they had a Bible waiting by the cash register, like register to hand mm. to me because mm. they knew I'd be in. And that's wow. another person who could have spoke up for me but didn't know how to. Mm. They would hand me the Bible and let me leave. Wow. Because wow. that was my saving grace. That is what kept me sane. Because God told me I was worthy, even though he told me I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, well, churches, um, just going to speak to you for a second. Please, 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 churches, get involved with this fight. 
um, you, you may be a small church. You say, we don't have a lot of resources. We're not asking you to have a lot of resources. We're just saying, put some bag, put some hygiene bags together. Uh, get involved with soap, uh, you know, and, and, and get involved, uh, also with Freedom Song, which is, uh, Devon's, uh, nonprofit, which we will, we'll talk about that in a second, but get involved. Um, let the, your voice be heard. And if you've got a youth group, uh, I will tell you, if you don't know anything about this, your youth group knows about it. And, you know, millennials, uh, Generation Z, all of these, they want their money to go to something that matters. They want their money to go to help people. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why and we see this in statistics. They they have a hard time giving because they they want to see their money actually going to something that's going to help someone where they can see change happening. And so uh, youth pastors, I encourage you, get with your youth, help them to understand, invite people in like Devon and others who are, and we talk about Teresa and you heard Devon say Teresa, she is the, um, the president of SOAP. And so, and she's also a survivor. And so invite people like this in to speak on these topics because they are so important. Um, we, I can we, tell you, I have spoke to so many youth groups and I've had so many kids come to me crying because it's happening at home. My goodness. I have never had more people come to me than speaking in a church youth group. My hmm. goodness. Pastors, I'm hope you're hearing that. Youth pastors, I'm hope you're hearing that. That just, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say at this moment. That just floored me. Uh, you know, there it's happening again, right under our nose, right? As, as we're in there and we, you know, our focus is on all, uh, all kinds of things. There are people have people going through this in our own sanctuaries, our own youth groups. Let's get focused on it and let's, you know, let's do something uh, about it. Um, for those of you who may be listening or, you know, somebody, or if something comes up and you need, uh, to give a hotline to, to someone, uh, the SOAP hotline is uh, 614-216-1619. That's 614-216-1619. If you are being trafficked, call this hotline Some in Michigan. Yeah, in Michigan. Someone uh, will, will come. They will pick you up. Uh, they will do whatever uh, they can do to help you uh, and and. Also, SOAP has a website. It's just simply www.soapproject.org, www.soapproject.org. And then Devon's uh, nonprofit uh, that she is a part of is called Freedom Song. Uh, it is on faith. They have a Facebook page. So go to Facebook, search Freedom Song, uh, get involved with their nonprofit, uh, donate, whatever, whatever we can do to help them. Uh, and then the, the, the last one is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, this one, uh, sometimes it's a little bit hard for them to get results fast because, you know, so many people are calling and, and there's just so much sometimes red tape that you have to go through. But I still want to give it. It's 1-888-373-7888, 1-888-373-7888. It's a 24-7 uh, hotline. It's more than 200 languages. Um, or you can text be free to two, three, three, seven, three, three, text be free to two, three, three, seven, three, three. 
And uh, so we we're in this fight, and um, I appreciate you. You can also you can text the soap hotline. That's it. It is a cell phone. Okay. So you heard it right there. Text the soap hotline six one four two one six one six one nine. And Devon, we are so just grateful to you uh, for coming on, sharing your story. Absolutely. I, I know that's not something that's easy to do, and but we really appreciate uh, you coming on uh, with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Kyle, can you just tell them where do they find us? Yeah, real quick. You guys can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Thinking Out Loud podcast, Instagram, Thinking underscore Out Loud podcast. And uh, Twitter, thinking out loud, loud is spelled simply with just LD. Hashtag thinking out loud podcast. Um, all the resources you just heard, the telephone numbers, the hotlines, the uh, website links, the Facebook page for Freedom Song, that will all be posted on our social media page. Uh, this episode is out, which means there is some artwork on our social media page underneath that artwork. Um, for this sex and human trafficking subject, you will find all those links. Uh, make sure you go ahead and visit one of our pages. We'd love to help you get into this fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate uh, all of you guys for listening. We're just loving the feedback. We're, we're loving uh, being with you every week. And so uh, we'll, we'll uh, see you next week. You guys have a great week. We love you. And uh, see you next week.